We are starting a brand new series, the book of Genesis, but don't freak out. We're not doing all 50 chapters. We're just going to do Genesis chapters 1 through 12 over the course of this summer. So um, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And if you are unfamiliar with the Bible completely, look underneath you, and it's basically the very first page. Um, so once you kind of get past the introductions and everything, Genesis, which means beginning, chapter 1. <coughs> um, so we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 through 12 uh, over the next summer or so. So you might be asking yourself, why are you only doing the first 12 chapters? Why aren't, why aren't you doing the whole thing? Well, obvious reasons aside, which means um, 50 chapters would literally take me forever. Uh, the reason why we're, we're focusing in on those first 12 chapters for the summer is um, once you get to chapter 12 in the uh, book of Genesis, it takes a turn and kind of narrows in on one family, and, and it kind of get, tells us the story of that family from 12 all the way through 50. But before you get to chapter 12, in Genesis 1 through 11, it's still kind of taking a big broad picture, looking at every, all the families, if you will, uh, that are kind of making up that very first part of history. And as that's happening, and, and Moses, the writer, as he's writing those first 12 chapters, we're going to go through about 12, 9, um, <clears throat> really as it said in there, most of life's questions, most of life's biggest questions are answered. Um, how do we get here? Why is there sin in the world? What, what do I do with this thing called marriage? What's God's intentions for it? I mean, all kinds of things like that are going to be addressed. And so we thought it'd be very helpful as uh, Remedy is moving forward in its life to think about some of those big life questions and how we can discover the answers, answers to some of those. So um, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into Genesis chapter 1 and I'll kind of explain a little bit of what we're doing in Genesis chapter 1 and how it might be different than some of the things we've done before. But first, let's get, let's, let's get started by praying. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Um, we pray that as we look into your word, that what's probably some of the most familiar verses um, for anybody, <clears throat> certainly every, every January we've read, we've read this text over and over and over, and so it's very familiar. And I just pray, God, for your help this morning. I pray that as we look at <clears throat> the creation account, that you would give me maybe a fresh approach, something that people haven't thought of. And I pray that as we look at the creation account, that it would um, help us all as we go this, this week to do our lives, as we live our lives for your glory, that the things that we hear and the things that we see here um, would be beneficial for us as we go and live a life of worship for you. Lord, I love you and I just confess my utter need for you this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at, in Genesis chapter 1, the, the account of the creation. So this is going to be a little bit different. If you were here with us in the fall, we did a doctrine series where we looked at different doctrines. And in one of those days on September the, I wrote it down, September the 8th, we did a, a creation sermon. And so this is going to be different than that creation sermon. And here's how. The creation sermon we did on September the 8th dealt with more of the doctrine side and the scientific side of things, if you will. Uh, and this is going to be really more, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, this sermon is a, a biblical exposition of the first chapter of Genesis. And so they're, they're a little bit different um, than what we're trying to do in that September the 8th uh, sermon. So as we're looking at uh, creation, Calvin, as he's talking about creation, he says that all of creation is the theater of God's glory. And so as we look out at everything, what God is trying to do is help us see 
uh, an epic display of his glory. And as we see an epic display of his glory, we're supposed to be in awe of this glory and thereby change our lives, change the way that we live. Now, here's the thing. In this particular um, set of verses we're going to look at, I'm going to want you to see some things about God. As we're looking about some things about God, what's going to likely happen is, um, because this, as a sermon that has a lot of kind of bigger picture things about God and not so much for us, therefore you need to go do this. A direct application for you is this. Um, <clears throat> generally, whenever we hear these kinds of sermons, and it doesn't have a whole lot of application, which I'm going to try to make, but it's just more about who God is and how trustworthy he is, those kinds of sermons can be frustrating, I think, because most of us are going to say, I've got big deals, big issues going on this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, etc., etc. So tell me something I need to do. Give me an application. If you just talk about these big picture things about God, that doesn't necessarily translate for me this coming week. And so what I'm hoping and what I'm hoping, uh, I've been praying for that God would do is, as we look at this first chapter especially, which is primarily about God, that, this first chapter especially, it's all about God and not really much about us. And we get the big idea about who God is. We can see that it actually does have direct implications for this coming week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. As we know more about who the character of God is, I don't want our first inclination is, give me an application, Fudd, tell me what to do. But instead, I want us to think, okay, if I just know who God is, then that certainly should inform the way I'm going to go live this week. And as I go through life, as things come up and I have questions about how I should act this way or what I should do, knowing the vast character of God, knowing how trustworthy he is, I can know how to act in this certain situation. But it's not going to be a big like, therefore, it's really, you know, spelled out for you. First thing you need to do is A. Second thing you need to do is B. Instead, it's more for us this particular week. We need to know who God is on a big picture level, and that will certainly inform the way we live. So just so as we're going forward, there's no big like, kicker application at the very end. It's just, this is who God is. This is how trustworthy he is. And we need to hear sermons over the course of a year, 50, 52 sermons. We need to hear big picture sermons about, about who God is, but also the narrows in, and this is how it looks in your marriage, and this is how it looks, as, and those kinds of things. But today is one of those big picture sermons about who God is. So um, as we're going into, I want to I wanna lean in on as best as I can some application, and then we'll, we'll go in. So Here's, here's my question for you as we, as we get started. Um, what are some of the fears that you have and face today? What are some of the fears in life that you face? Most of mine, this is just me, um, kind of circle and surround the children that I have. Um, I, I have the normal fears that we all have about our children regarding their safety and that we want them to grow up and we want them to be, you know, successful beings in, in, in society, etc. And th- that's where most of my kind of, at least <clears throat> in my age right now, where I have young children and we're kind of in that stage, that's where most of my fears surround. They all just kind of circle around my children, mostly. But you may have different fears. You may have things about if you're in college school, am I going, <laughs> I just finished exams, am I actually going to pass? Are my parents going to kill me? Are they going to make me drop out? Maybe it's school stuff. Am I ever going to finish this degree? Um, maybe it's a spouse. You're, you're hoping for that to happen one day. Will I ever find her? Will I ever find him? I'm kind of fearful that that might not ever happen. It could just be the future, whether it be um, you're going to be a successful person in life, or if 
Your job's uncertain. Will I hold on to this job? We all kind of have fears going on. And then this text, you've maybe never thought about this before, but in this text, as we're looking at creation, God is wanting us to know who he is so that as we know who he is, we'll be able to face things like that. We'll be able to face actual fears in our lives. Um, Whatever your fears are, this text will help us see that God wants our fears to be addressed and understood in light of his mighty power to be able to comfort us and to be able to protect us in our life. That's something that we can easily draw out of the story of creation. I'm going I'm to get us there, but as we're looking at the story of creation, it's going to give us a deep, deep hope in, in the God and his powerful word and the fact that the king of the universe has created an earth for us and he's created a good kingdom for us to be a part of. So as we're going into Genesis chapter 1, there's a couple things that I want us to remember, um, this is just hermeneutics 101. That just means Bible interpretation. Sorry about that. Um, hermeneutics 101 or Bible interpretation 101. Some things we need to realize as, as, we, as we look at this, um, tradition has taught us and we believe that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And as Moses wrote the book of Genesis, um, the best way for us to be able to understand uh, the book of, of Genesis is to understand how it was understood and heard by the first hearers. In other words, the true meaning of any text, the true meaning of any text is what was the meaning to the first hearers? Whenever they were writing it, whatever it meant to those first hearers is what it means for us. If it didn't mean that for the first hearers, it likely does not mean that for us. It could certainly be applied for us in that certain in this time frame, but that's not necessarily the meaning. We have to find the meaning first to get application. We don't just run and try to find application. So here, in this particular set of verses, Moses is writing to Israel. And as he's writing to Israel, he's wanting to explain to them the creation account. He wants them to understand the creation account. And it's important to know that because as Moses is writing to Israel a creation account, he knows that they don't need to understand a lot of scientific things. That's not what, what they were thinking about. That's not what they're interested in. So um, he's not trying to address their, their disbelief in dinosaurs and what they need to do with it. He's not trying to write any kind of scientific book. Instead, he's writing about God and he's writing about salvation. Augustine picks up on this idea and he says the Bible, and specifically we can just say Genesis, is not a scientific textbook seeking to address the ever-changing inquiries of science, but rather a theological textbook seeking to reveal God and the means by which he saves. So even as Moses is writing the book of Genesis, he's writing it to a specific people, Israel, helping them understand who God is and how he saves. So as we're looking at this, we, I'll address that a couple times just to, to keep us in the right frame of mind on how to understand um, these, these sets of verses. So uh, we, the first thing I want you to look at is this, um, the three powerful notes that in creation. The way we're going to do this, because it's very familiar, is we're going to kind of take a, a big look at, at all the text, and I'm just going to show you three things that kind of jump out in the way that God creates. So let me read it. It's going to be, it's going to be kind of long, but that's okay. We're going to go down to verse 25. So um, for those of you that have short attention spans because of too much technology, iPads and iPhones or whatever, this is our shot. This is our chance to, to beat it. Show Facebook that it doesn't rule you. Show Twitter that you don't need just 140 characters and you got to check out. We're going to read 25 verses and I, I believe in you. We're all, we all can do this. We're, we're, we're smart people. All right, here it goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
the earth which was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here comes day one. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that there were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. <clears throat> and so, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was the evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God said, saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing tr- fruit and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to their own kind. And God saw that it was good. You can just see order being made. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and rule over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with it, which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now we could keep going for the rest of creation, but the reason why we're stopping there, because I think we can all see, as you get into day six, he's going to create man. And so um, as Jack and I were kind of planning out all of Genesis, we decided that we needed to kind of break that out and let it stand as its own sermon. So part two will be next week. But what I want to do is look at um, really all of creation. We're still going to kind of look at it as a big picture all seven days today. Uh, and just know that we're going to look, zoom in on, on day six next week. But we're still kind of thinking about all seven days today as we're looking about creation. So there's three powerful notes regarding God and creation. As, as you see, the primary person that's here in this particular set of verses is God. And over and over it says, and God, and God, and God. And he's introducing himself in this particular, particular text as Elohim, not Yahweh, which comes in second chapter, but Elohim, 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 which is the plural form. So we see that the Trinity's present in creation. And that's just helpful as we get to verse two. 
But we'll get to that in a second. But so over and over, he's, he's introducing himself as the main character in chapter one. So this whole very beginning of the, of the Bible, and really the whole Bible, is about God. So here I want you to see three powerful notes regarding God and creation. Remember, as we see this big picture thing about God, it will translate to this week in your problems. It will. But think about your fears and think about how, as we understand who God is, how his, his sovereignty can certainly address our fears and that his power to comfort us and protect us, which is even in this, this chapter here, um, is able to do that for us. As it did it for Israel, it does it for us as well. So here's the first thing I want you to see. And we saw it over and over. The king and, or, or God or Elohim, however you want to say it, the king created with his powerful word. He created with this powerful word. That's the, one of the first things that jumps off the text as we see. Verse three, God said. Verse six, God said. Verse nine, God said. Verse 11, God said. 14 and following. So it says it over and over. And God said. So one of the main themes about God in the creation account is that God creates with his powerful word. When God speaks, it's powerful. He literally can speak things into creation. Now, we can't do that. Like we have, to, we have to build stuff. We have to grab the current materials that are available and do stuff. None of us are able to just speak things ex nihilo, out of nothing, into, into something. This just puts on display God's power. And he's not creating like little things like chair. There's one. Like he's creating universe, right? And, and planets and stars all the way out into the expanse. He's creating things just by speaking. ESV study Bible, if you have one, it says in chapter one, the absolute power of God is conveyed by the fact that he merely speaks and things are created. And I would just add, and sustained. We see that in Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Um, It says in Hebrews chapter one, verse one, as it's talking about Christ, but certainly Elohim, Christ is present in creation. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, um, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through him, um, through whom also he created the world. So we know that Christ was present during creation. And it says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And here it is. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Everything's created by God's word and everything is being sustained literally by the word of Christ. So we know that God has this powerful word to be able to create. So I want us to notice how this powerful word, which is in creation remarkably, how it connects to us and how it connects to the gospel. In Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, uh, this is a very important set of verses. The first two verses are quite important. If you notice, we don't, We don't get the first day in those two verses, but we do get things being created there. Look what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then when we get to verse three is when we get to the first day. Now, I'm not gonna get into the scientific parts about the gap theory and all that kind of stuff and how long that first two verses actually covers. We talked about some of that in the fall, but really I'm wanting to kind of do something different. As we see that, we see God doing something, creating something in Genesis 1 and 2. He's creating the heavens and the earth. And as he created the heavens and the earth, we see some specific things about them. We see that they are without form 
and void. And then we get the first day in verses three through five. But before the six days of creation, before that, God creates with his word and creates the heavens and the earth. When this happened, the heavens and the earth are, as the Hebrew says, tohu and vabohu or wabohu or whatever, which means without form and void. This means that as the first creation happens, it's pitch black. There's, there's creation, there's heavens and earth, but it's utter chaos. It's without form and it's, with, and it's void. It's pitch black. There's no light. There's no form. It's empty. It's dark, deep deep ocean. Nothing is able to grow. Nothing is able to develop. It's utter chaos in that first section, in that first little part. Now, this means as that's happening, that there's utter chaos, that because nothing can grow, because nothing can develop, and there's chaos, this means there's, there needs to be something that's going to happen. It's, it's crying out for a change. It's crying out for chaos is always crying out for order, right? Chaos needs order, specifically if God has done this. So in this first section, as we're looking at, um, he wants us to see that it's without form and void. It's tohu and wabohu, that it's, 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 it's utter chaos. But because there's utter chaos and there's utter pitch black and everything's going on, in verse two, immediately after we see that, there's this glimmer of hope. There's this hint or spark that kind of springs forth of hope saying, even though there's utter chaos, never fear. You know why? The spirit is hovering. God is present in the utter chaos and he's, he's going to do something about it. Look what it says. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Sailhammer, uh, John Sailhammer, he's an Old Testament um, guru. He says that the idea of God's spirit as the active agency of his power is, is, is very common. The idea of God's spirit as the active agency of his, of his power is very common in the Pentateuch. So anytime we see the Spirit of God, it's putting on display for us. It's a mental note to say, okay, God's power is going to be displayed here. So as utter chaos is happening, as utter chaos is going on, we need to know that immediately the writer is writing to Israel, is wanting them to see, but the Spirit of God is present. Okay, so let's just back up and let's start with that, that little first question I ask. Are there any fears? Because fears in our lives bring chaos, uncertainties. What we need to realize and what, what Moses is wanting Israel to see is that when utter chaos is happening in our life, we don't need to fear because as God is absolutely present, bringing order to chaos, he is absolutely, he's, he's writing to comfort Israel saying, and in your chaos, God will be present. And for us, in our chaos, God is going to be present. We need to know the king created with his powerful word. He's trying to put on display for us just how powerful God is. He's coming, the spirit of God, to bring order to the chaos, to bring complete order and meaning. And as he's going to do that in the following set of verses, we need to note that he's going to meet the exact needs that were present. There were some huge needs that were present. There is pitch black, no light, no form, empty, dark, deep ocean. That nothing can grow, nothing can develop. And as un the unfolding of creation starts happening, notice he starts addressing those exact things. He brings light. He separates light and darkness. He calls light day. 
He calls darkness night. All of a sudden, chaos is getting order. There was deep darkness, and now there's light. He, this is the creating order that he's doing. God continues in creation in verses 6 and following to bring order to the chaos and addressing the exact needs that were present. I think that's huge for us. In whatever fears and whatever chaos our life in, God is going to address it and in his timing, bring the exact needs that are present. It may not be your wants. We got we to gotta know what wants and needs are. <laughs> we got to be able to distinguish between those. But in this creation order, God is warning us to realize God is addressing our exact needs. Here he's doing it for creation and he's helping Israel see it. He does it for them and he's helping us. He, he also creates an expanse or, an, or a canopy. He creates waters and sky. He creates earth. And as he creates earth, things couldn't grow and develop. Now things can grow and develop. He brings vegetation. He brings trees. That's the proof now that growth is happening. He brings lights and he brings seasons. He brings animals that will be able to enjoy this growth. Now there is an order that's being brought to the chaos that was present. God can be trusted to bring order out of chaos. Can anyone testify to that? Can anyone say that's happened in my life? So in creation, what we're wanting to see, it's not just, oh, look, God made trees and flowers and birds and and all these things. God's more so wanting at the root of all things to help us see utter chaos is being brought to order. And in that, that's absolutely true with your life. God can completely be trusted. And that's what Moses is wanting the, the Israelites and us to see in this creation account. That's the first thing that we see. God said, God said, God said. He does it with his word, his powerful word. This is extraordinary power. That's how it relates to us and even further how it relates to the gospel. And I've said this before, but um, whenever we did the creation thing back in the fall, but I'm gonna say it again because it's just so awesome. So here's the gospel connection as we see this. Um, if you want to turn, you, you might want to, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul, as he's writing, um, talks about our salvation. And as he talks about our salvation, as he talks about the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming and dying um, on, on the cross for us, resurrecting, um, ascending into heaven, all the historical facts of the good news and belief and trust in that. And as we believe and trust in that, we are, we are now saved. As he's, as he's looking at really the whole gospel in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he's going to talk about our salvation in terms of the creation. He's going to look back at Genesis chapter 1, verse um, 1 and 2 and 3. I'm sorry, in Genesis 1, 3. And he says, just like that happened in Genesis 1, 3, that's how our salvation. Look what it says in Gen- 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness. That's exactly what happens there in in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So this is exactly what happened in verse three. And he's making a comparison as just how there was utter chaos, just how there, there was nothingness. And all of a sudden, God's powerful word came and spoke. And all of a sudden, there's order and there's light. That's happened in our salvation. He says, just as for God who said, let light shine out of darkness as he did in the Old Testament. Now for us who are being saved has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, as God created order out of chaos in creation, so also the gospel now has created order. In other words, forgiveness and, 
um, changed chaos. In other words, our sinful lives. And our, we had sinful lives. That was the chaos in our lives. And the gospel connection is just as he brings order out of chaos, he also brings order or forgiveness in our sinful lives. God said, let light shine out of darkness in creation. And he created meaning and he created order and he created purpose. And now for us, God's also in our salvation said, let the light, which is the gospel, shine out of darkness the darkness is our heart, and into our heart to give us now forgiveness, to give us and change us from chaos and sinful practices into order and forgiveness and purpose and meaning. This is amazing love for us. There's a huge gospel connection right there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, which Paul makes the connection for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So at, the first thing that we're seeing is, and this partic- uh, the, the first thing about God that I want you to see is that God... And he created by the, his powerful word. He brought order from chaos. He can totally be trusted in your chaos. And the primary example of that is your salvation, if you're a believer. The primary example is that he brought order in your own life. He brought forgiveness. And if he can be trusted with the most important thing in your and my life, salvation, there's nothing more important than our eternity, right? Then he can absolutely be trusted with the day-to-day things, like my children, or your job, or your passing college, or the fact that you want a spouse, or fill in the blank on whatever it is that we find ourselves fearful about. And I'm not saying being fearful is a sin. I think dwelling in it, and staying in it, and not trusting, we're, we're finding ourselves maybe in some sinful practices. But we're, we need to realize that God can be trusted. So that's the first kind of big picture thing. Now, the second thing I, I want us to notice about God is this. This is going to be so obvious. You're going to be like, oh, that's awesome, fun. I saw that right away. Big deal. Here it is. The king created in seven days. Seven days. All right, what does that mean, fun? Because that's just, how does that help me trust God? I'm glad you asked. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, so <clears throat> what does that mean? So what, fun? We already knew um, a couple things. So here's, here's the maybe more um, conspicuous things that we can see that we know about um, God creating in seven days. That just means kind of obvious. Um, is that God likes the number seven. <laughs> if anybody that reads the Bible, we know that God likes the number seven. We know that the number seven is the number for completeness and perfection like creation was. These are kind of the obvious things about God creating in seven days. Um, another thing is that God creates in six days and literally rests on the seventh, which gives us our pattern of work and rest. We need to take a, a day of Sabbath every week for not doing that. We are breaking a commandment. That's, that's in the Ten Commandments. Um, another one is that God creates in seven days to show us faithfulness in creation, giving us an example. Um, so <clears throat> that's kind of followed throughout the Old Testament. So there's a pattern throughout the Old Testament of seven and six. And so like manna, God gives them manna for six days and doesn't give it to them. By the way, manna um, was grits. And if you're ever wondering, manna was grits because God loves the South. And so manna was grits that came down. It's his favorite place. He loves the Southeast. So, um, so anyway, as God provided the grits each day, he didn't provide manna each day. I shouldn't do that. So on the seventh day, he didn't, right? And so there's this pattern throughout the Old Testament of in creation it starts, and we see it again with the manna, and there's just this pattern that goes throughout. And so these are the more conspicuous things about the number seven and God using seven days. Um, but there's, I think, some deeper stuff. Than, and I think this is where we're going to get into the, the better stuff. Like, okay, what's the, what's the thing that I need to know about God and the fact that he chose to, to do it on seven days? <clears throat> the more inconspicuous or less obvious things about God creating seven days is this. 
he, he also displays his faithfulness to Israel. Remember, this is written to Israel. And they notice all kinds of textual things. As, they, as he displays his faithfulness to Israel, he comforts them by literally the, the way that he creates and the order that he creates. He creates Israel, helping them see that he's been faithful in the, in the pattern by which he creates of six days and rest. And the pattern he creates in there shows his trustworthiness and shows his faithfulness. So um, it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to tell you what I mean. So you've got kind of three days, and then you've got the next three days. You've got day one, two, and three, and then, then day four, five, and six. And as Israel's reading this, they're going to see day one, day two, day three is one little section. Day four, day five, day six is another section. And day one is going to parallel four. Day two is going to parallel five, and day three is going to parallel six. And in that, Day one, when something's created, verse four is kind of the, the fulfillment or helping them see it. So like I said, this is the less conspicuous uh, thing here, but all that takes place in six days and the seventh day is rest. So he chose, God in his infinite wisdom, chose to do it in seven days and show us these patterns to display his faithfulness by fulfilling each one of those things with one, four, two, five, three, six. Here it is. And day one, he gives light. And then day four, he gives the two light bearers, the sun and moon. So I don't know if you picked up on that, but the sun and moon and stars weren't, weren't created to day four. I'm not going to jump into that scientific thing. That's not what I'm trying to get to. And, and Israel didn't care, right? Israel didn't care about that. But what's happening is he creates light in day one, and then all of a sudden in day four, he creates the light bearers, as he calls in verse 16, the two great lights, the sun and moon, the kind of the fulfillment and how it's going to work out. And day two, he creates the firmament. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but it means heaven and sky and waters, the, the sphere of the world. I, I'm, I'm just, I went to public school in South Carolina, so I don't know a whole lot of big words. Um, but as we, see that, as we see that in day two, the firmament, in day five now, you have the inhabitants of the firmament. The, the heavens and the sky and the waters, notice it's not earth. It's just the heavens and the sky. What lives in the heavens and the sky? The birds and the fish. That's why the birds and the fish were created on day five. And then the land creatures were created. I always wondered, why, why the birds and the fish but not the land creatures. Why were they all just done on one day? The reason why is verse in day two, he creates the heavens and sky. And then day five, he puts the inhabitants of those things. He's just showing his, his promise and fulfillment. And day three, he does two active creations, the land and the vegetation. And so as you get over to day six, he has two creative acts, just like there was two creative acts, land and vegetation. Day six, there's two creative acts of the animals and humans. So we live on the land and we eat the vegetation. And humans, we get to eat the cows. Like we get all kinds of good deals out of this. So um, you can see here, and I said that's less conspicuous, but God decided in his infinite plan to create in seven days and rest on the seventh because he's warning Israel. They, they saw this and Moses is very much wanting us to see this, that God's trustworthiness is on display here that he's always fulfilling even down to the details in creation. The first readers saw this and said, wow, God is so comforting. God is so faithful that everything he does is reminding us in our life that he's faithful in absolutely everything. Even as he does, does this pattern, He's showing, I created something and now I'm fulfilling it and that's going to be used by this, which is the same thing for our lives. Like everything in our lives that's been given to us is for a purpose. There's no accidents with God. He created in seven days because he's trustworthy. 
Now, I want to show you one other, this is a little side note, brilliant nugget that's in here um, that, that kind of relates to this seventh day, just to show you the awesomeness of God's sovereignty and the control that he has and the care that he takes of his people and his huge power over anything in our lives, specifically idols. If you notice in verse 16, it says God created the two great lights, the two great lights. We can clearly see in days three through six, God's creating everything. He's, he's creating over and over. And as he's creating these things, you know, he's creating land and vegetation. Day four is when he creates the light. And then day five is the, the fish and birds. And day six is the land and animals. So we see that land, moon and stars, fish, humans, they're all part of the created order, which means sun and moon, they're part of the created order. They are created. Now, in verse 16, he says the two great lights. This is kind of a, a little side note nugget and, and point number two. The interesting thing here is that Moses, as he's writing, does not use the word sun and moon, but instead he calls them two great lights. Um, we probably don't think much of that, but as there are two Hebrew words for sun and moon, they're shemis and yareh. If you say it like you know what you're talking about, everybody just believes you know it, but I, I can't do that. Shemis and yareah. So there are two words for sun and moon. However, as Moses is writing, by the time had, had come along, the words Shemeas and Yameah were pagan god names. Literally, the sun and moon. They worshiped the sun and moon. And they were literally the names of the pagan gods at the time. So as Moses is writing this creation account, he doesn't say, and God made Shemeah and Yareah because they thought, oh, those are gods, little g. So he just calls them the two great lights instead. Um, he leaves those out. Now, the reason why... He, Moses actually does say that he creates the two great lights. The reason why he does this is because he's wanting them to see that those particular things are just created. Just like we saw in Genesis uh, in day four, where he created land. He also created these two things, which are just things that are part of the creation. They're created things. They're not gods. He also created the fish. He also created the land. And as he's talking about the two great lights, he's wanting them to see that these two things are not pagan gods to be worshiped. Instead, they're just part of the created order, just like everything else. They're no different than land and animals and everything. Therefore, they are not gods. They are just idols that you worship. In other words, God is the one true God. He's the powerful one. He's greater than any other idol that exists. And for these particular times, it was the sun and moon. But even for us, the great nugget for us is whatever little G you might worship, whatever idol you think is really important, he's more important than it too. He's addressing idolatry right there in the first century or whatever this is. I guess you could call it the first century, but not AD. So he's addressing idolatry I'm kind of mixed up here. He's addressing idolatry right there in the created order that he knows people's hearts will be bent towards. And he's even addressing it for us today. For them, it was pagan gods. For us, you can fill in the blank of what it might be. Anything that you hold to high esteem, anything that you think you need, absolutely, that's not God. He is greater. That's what Moses is wanting us to see. He's absolutely greater. The implication for us then is God rules over any God or any idol we might have. No idol should compete for your heart. No idol should compete for your affections. The only person that should be the highest esteem in your affections is Elohim, God, Christ. Whatever you feel like you need to put there, they're all the same. That's what should be supreme in your affections. Don't settle for lesser gods. And we would think, ah, I would never worship the moon. 
but we do settle for even dumber things than that. Don't settle for idolatry. Instead, what God's wanting us to see in here is that he's absolutely trustworthy. He's absolutely trustworthy. And he rules and reigns over anything. Third thing is that God created his kingdom as good. You you probably know that in every day, except for day two, he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Day three, he says it twice. So maybe it counts that way. But he says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And as he gets to us, humans, as he gets to man, we know that he also says it's very good. Now, what I want us to realize, as God is calling the creation good over and over, what's really being communicated is that he is good. His creation is good, but the reason why it's good is because he created it. Therefore, he is good. Now, don't let the word good kind of be that plain Jane meaning that we've made it in America. You know, like, oh, this cheeseburger is so good. Like, that's not what we mean, right? We mean when we say creation is good and that God is good, we mean as deeply as we can understand the depth of the meaning good. And it's as, as great as its antithesis would be of evil and bad, as great as that can go, as far as you can go this way, that's God. He's good. He's always good. And so as he's saying this about creation, because he's saying creation is good, the main thing he's wanting to communicate is, because he did it, that he is good. As deep as you can understand and drive down into the meaning of good, that's what God is. So the third thing is, the king created his kingdom as good. Therefore, he is good. So let's back up then. I mean, it's just really easy. In your fears or in your trusting God this week and things don't go your way and you're wondering why this thing's happened. Listen, God is good. He's always good. We have to have that as a deep heart root belief understanding of who he is or we will perish trying to live for him. This week as you're facing anything, remember over and over, God is good. Everything that happens is in according to his plan. He's always trying to bring order and chaos to those whom he loves. This is the way he does it. The greatest display of that is salvation. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He created in seven days. And in this particular moment of my life this week or this month or this year, he's good. He can be trusted. Six times he says that he's good. Um, as I said, twice on day three, none in day two. And the world that we live in, even right now, and especially here before sin enters the world, um, it's God's domain. It's his kingdom. And it is good. Notice the goodness of God as he provides sustenance for humans. As he creates humans, in verse um, 26 and following, he gives them uh, dominion over the fish of the sea And so we can see that he even creates vegetables for us to eat and animals for us to eat because he's good to us. In his goodness or in his kindness, he's turned chaos into a well-ordered cosmos and it's very good. It's it's a good gift now for us to enjoy. It's a good gift for us to steward well this amazing creation that he's given to us. Calvin, as he's speaking on the goodness of creation um, and God, he says, on each of the days, a simple approbation or name was given, but now, which is good, uh, but now after the workmanship of the world was complete in all its parts and, and had received, if, if I may say so, the last finishing touch, he pronounces it 
perfectly good or very good, that we may know that there is symmetry of God's works, the highest perfection to which nothing can be added. And that's the, that's the truth about him. That's the truth about him, not just his creation, but him. He is the highest perfection to which nothing can be added. If that's true, he absolutely can be trusted. The creation account is screaming out for us, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. He's sovereign. He protects you. As chaos happened in verse 1, without form and void, immediately hope, a ray of hope is saying, but the Holy Spirit is hovering. And you need to realize this is exactly what's going on in your life. You, you are not alone. The Spirit of God is hovering. Not like some, you know, helicopter mom that annoys you, right? But in the most gentle, loving, compassionate, bringing order, there for you to comfort you in your fears, loves you, is good, is with you, can totally be trusted. He's infinitely perfect. And he's right there with you. That's amazing news. The creation designation that says it's good is indicative of actually who God is. He is good. The sovereign God controls all the world's beginning. The sovereign God controls its entire destiny. And here's the main point of all that. The sovereign God controls your beginning. The sovereign God controls your destiny. So I began with fears that we might have, whatever those are. And though there's no direct application, like therefore, do this thing seven times, you know? Like Dr. Reed had some good applications last week. And in those, we need to have those, like encourage someone this week, those kinds of things. But here, I think we just need to think and rest and know who our sovereign creator is. And that whatever fears are going to come up this week, this month, this year, this life, we need to rest in the sovereignty, powerful goodness of God and let those things transform our minds. This is not just a message for the the first believer, the first week believer, the simple believer, the new believer. This is something that the, the believer that's been a Christian for 40 years still struggles with. Trusting and resting in the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God in my everyday life. When idols come my way, when stress comes my way, when fears come my way, when things that are vying for my affections come my way, pushing those aside and saying, even as the deepest, longest, you know, been a Christian my whole life, needs to be reminded of this. He's good and he's trustworthy. And I can make my everyday decisions based on that. I don't have to fear because he is completely trustworthy. We're going to have fears in our life. We're going to. But on the first page of the Bible, the very first page, our good God is already pointing us back to him. So in this time going into worship, it's just really two things. If you're not a believer and you're hearing this and you're thinking, this is so new to me, I, I don't know. Listen, as light was shown out of darkness, he brought it forth because of his love and mercy for us. The same thing can happen in your heart. If you're not a believer, 
his light, the gospel, can shine into your heart and bring meaning, bring purpose, bring forgiveness, and you can have life eternal. If you know that's that's what you want, if you know that that's what's been missing in my life is Jesus. There is no other answer besides Jesus. It's not Jesus as an answer among many. There's no other answer but Jesus, and I want it. Come talk to me. I'll be right here in the back. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But for most of you that I think that are believers, I think that as we worshiped right now, we've got three or four songs. What I want you to do is just um, not worry about the people around you, not worry about the circumstances going on in your life right now, as, as difficult as it might be. Think as we sing these three to four songs on just the goodness of God. Close your eyes if you need to and think about him and just rest and respond, giving him the praise and worship. And maybe you need to just resolve in your heart and mind, Lord, I'm gonna trust you. Whatever happens this week, this month, this year in my life, maybe this, this time right now is a time for you to respond and say, I'm gonna trust you. There's no reason for me not to. You've always shown me that you're trustworthy. So use that time now. I'm gonna pray and Jordan will lead us in a time of worship. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so trustworthy. I pray for anyone here struggling with real things going on in their life, Lord, that you would be now, that the spirit would be comforting. He would be present as he's always promised to be present bringing order to our chaos. We do live chaotic lives, God, because of our sin. And we need you more than we possibly could ever imagine. Be with us now as we worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name.